This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I mean, stop singer. Toss on off the first. In time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist, Fernando Abad. And the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Straight away center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the king, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven scoreless innings. Now, here's your host, Gary Hill. All right, welcome back. Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. Great to have you back again. Great to be Friday. Weekend's here. Mariners are back playing after the off day yesterday. This should be a fun weekend at Safeco Field. Three against the A's, four against the Astros after that. But Mariners try to continue their momentum. Six and four on the season coming in against Oakland. The A's had an off day as well. Before we break down the series, we'll we'll do that for a few minutes. And then a fun conversation with John Miller, the broadcaster in San Francisco, one of the best there is, very entertaining. We had a fun conversation with him in San Francisco. It's sensational, and that will come up after we take a look at the A's series. So (laughs) it's, it's really good. So here's what we got. Three-game series against the A's starting tonight, first pitch 7-10, Saturday 6-10, and then Sunday 1-10. Leak will go for the M's in game one of the series, off to a pretty nice start, 2-0, 3.00 ERA. Andrew Triggs, who's pitched well for Oakland, will get the call, 1-0 at 2-5-3 ERA. Triggs is against two division rivals so far. He faced Texas in his first start of the season, went five, allowed four hits, one run, two walks, seven strikeouts. Last time against the Angels, pitched well again into the sixth, five and two-thirds, four hits, two earned, two walks, and six strikeouts, 96 pitches his last start. He's pitched well. Primarily the curveball has been his best weapon, kind of a a side-winding righty. He'll throw a slider. He'll throw a curve. He's got a sinker in the mix as well, and he's been tough to square up so far this season. His year was cut short last year because of injury. Only made 12 starts a year ago, 65 innings pitched, fan 50. Things look a little different with the way he's using his curveball and slider this year but two games in, so obviously small sample size, but the former University of Southern California pitcher will take the mound for the A's in game one of the series. Game two, Marco Gonzalez will get the start on Saturday, 6-10. Kendall Graveman, the opening day starter for the A's. It's been a real struggle for Graveman so far, 0-2 with a 9-4-5 ERA. Felix Hernandez will go. 
on Sunday, 110, 2-1 with a 6-6-0 ERA. Sean Manaya will get the ball in the finale of the series on Sunday. The lefty's off to a strong start, 1-2 with a 1-7-4 ERA. A's will come into this series 5-8 on the season, fourth place in the West. They're coming off of a split against the Dodgers. Numbers-wise, their offense has been their strength, but it's a little bit deceiving, as a lot of things can be early in the season. You have one monster game either way. You give up a ton of runs or, and, or you score a ton of runs, and it can kind of skew things offensively because their numbers offensively are – Pretty good, but their last time out, they put 16 on the board against the Dodgers, blasting the Dodgers 16-6. to They had an off day yesterday, the day before that, 16 runs, 21 hits in the ball game against the Dodgers, including three home runs. Chris Davis went yard as well. He has been a problem for the Mariners. He look at home runs against the M's. No one has more the last couple of years. So he'll be one to watch in the middle of the order. And you can see when you look at that lineup uh, offensively how they can cause problems. You have Chris Davis in the middle who provides uh, provides a lot of thump. Lowry's off to a good start. Remember, he had 49 doubles a year ago. Olsen, really since the All-Star break last year, has has been fabulous. Chapman has been good as well. Simeon is there on the infield. Uh, So... They have an offense that can cause some problems. Most of their issues revolve around the rotation. So big series for the M's, especially with Houston coming in for four after. And we'll see if they can take another series as they did against Kansas City. Had a winning road trip. Mariners look to get healthy as well. By the time we talk on Monday, I mean, great chance we'll see Ben Gamble back in the lineup. And chances we could see Cruz, maybe Zanino as well. By the time we talk on Monday, that would be fantastic. Mariners offense still pretty good despite all the guys I mentioned and Healy as well. So half the lineup has been down. But the Mariners had a very good road trip, now 6-4 and four on the season and trying to have a good series against the Oakland A's coming up starting tonight. Hopefully we'll see you at Safeco Field. In the meantime, let's have some fun. How about some John Miller? Ah, yes, the voice of the great John Miller, who we are privileged to have in our teeny tiny radio booth right now. And I've got Rick Riz on the other side of me, so I'm just surrounded by greatness. And there's Aaron Goldsmith over here, too, for the round table. Pulling up the cavalry back here. <laughs> oh, Shannon Dreyer here as the Mariners get set for game two against the Giants. And as I mentioned, we are we are so happy to have you here, John. And uh, you know what? Yesterday, uh, it was just... Uh, you get the uh, opposing team's openers, and you're always kind of wondering what you're going to see in a show. You guys can put on a show. So much history here. I don't know that the uh, the people in the dugout were all that happy with it because the game didn't start till 12 minutes late. <laughs> but uh, the the Giants do know how to put on a show like that. So the the other team that can put on a great pregame show with their history and whatnot is the Yankees. If you're ever at Yankee Stadium for some big show like that it's really something to see so uh, but I think the Giants uh, somewhere along the way decided we should be celebrating the great history of this franchise and that predates the move to San Francisco yesterday was all about 60 years of baseball here but they had 
75 years of baseball in New York before that. And when they moved to San Francisco, the New York Giants became the San Francisco Giants. But Willie Mays was a New York product, and uh, the, the Giants' history was a New York thing. And I, uh, Horace Stoneham was a New York guy, the owner of the ball club. And so they embraced that whole New York history because it was a pretty good history. And uh, I used to do the games in Baltimore. They had been the St. Louis Browns, who, not a very good history, <laughs> and not a very good franchise for most of its history. They were a last-place team, a cellar-dweller most of the time. And the Orioles just said, forget about the Browns. Uh, they never existed. And, uh, <laughs> and for the, the Orioles, Orioles, in their book, the whole franchise started in 1954 when they moved to Baltimore. So it, it could have gone that way here in San Francisco, too, but the Giants embraced their entire history. And you were the voice of the Orioles in 83 when they won it, right? The first year I went to Baltimore, I had been doing the Red Sox games. I've I've had a lot of different jobs. I had a hard time <laughs> holding a job, actually. Yeah. So uh, I had done the Red Sox games and then moved to Baltimore in time for the 83. And I was so wow. grateful to Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken and Jim Palmer and all those guys for winning the World Series. I felt like it was for me because, really, when you come to a new franchise – and they win, it makes you sound good as the broadcaster. Because of you, yeah, exactly. You get a lot of comments, a lot of compliments on your broadcaster. Last night when they came from behind with the four-run ninth inning, man, you were great. <laughs> <laughs> you don't hear that that often when they blow a lead in the ninth inning, and uh, the next day people say, well, they blew it. It was a horrible game, but you were you know, No, you don't hear that. It's uh, well, it's always when they win. So uh, I was very grateful to them. And, uh, and they had been the best team in the American League for a long, long time, going – from the sometime in the 60s up until about 83, 84. Yeah. And then they had a downward spiral culminating 30 years ago with the all-time record 21-game losing streak to start the season, yeah. uh, which, I mean, nobody's even come close to that before or since. And I'm happy to say that because that's impossible. Yeah, A college team would win one of those 21 games. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would not wish it on anybody. Some people kind of... Re- Look back at it now and say, like, hey, that was, well, kind of a crazy time. <laughs> <laughs> but for the people who were there, oh, my goodness. it was yeah. the worst of times in yeah. every way. And nobody who was there remembers it fondly. But I will say that Joe Angel and I were the broadcasters on the radio. And they were interviewing us. Sometimes in the morning, I'd wake up in the hotel at 6 with a phone call. And I was doing talk shows from 6 o'clock in the morning till noon, and I finally would just not answer the phone. I'd go down a back stairway because there were 100 reporters standing really? around in the lobby mm-hmm. at the, the team hotel. There were, there were 200-something media people that were traveling yeah. with the ball club because this was a big story. And nobody wanted to talk about it. But uh, the Washington Post later did, uh, Joe and I put, the, uh, on, they put us on the cover of the Sunday magazine, you know, a, a big high-quality, uh, glossy uh, paper magazine, and they had a headline that said, how do these guys make something so bad sound so good? Wow. And I said to Very Joe, nice. I said, you know, I wouldn't wish this. I, I would not wish this on my worst enemy, but it's work, It's making us famous. It's <laughs> probably the best thing that ever happened to us. <laughs> When you think about this division and the broadcasters in it, John, the National League West is now getting used to not having Vin Scully in it. I know you and Vin are very close. What's it like for you to when the Dodgers come to town and you go to L.A. and there's no John Miller and Vin Scully? 
I, I, I miss him. The best thing about doing the Giants games was because they played the Dodgers so often that we saw Vin Scully yeah. 19 times a year. Uh, we'd have dinner with him in the press room, and uh, and he'd tell stories, and we'd talk about different things. Uh, and he, not just a warm human being, but a guy who loved to laugh. And I remember I was always fascinated in the old broadcasters, you know, the uh, Red Barber, and Vinny came up under Red Barber. Red Barber selected him as uh, the young guy that he thought had great talent that could be molded into a top-notch broadcaster. And, of course, he was way wrong about that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, uh, so, and and Vinny always talks fondly about Red Barber. So I remember buying these old tapes of Brooklyn Dodger games so I could hear Red Barber in his prime. And you could hear it at Ebbets Field, the old Ebbets Field, in the background very clearly in these old tapes, the public address announcer. Because I, I like ballparks, and I like the whole feel of a ballpark, yeah. and I like the sounds of the ballpark, and I love those very distinctive PA men. And they had a guy in Brooklyn named Tex Rickard, which makes you think he's probably from Fort Worth or something, <laughs> right? No, he's from Brooklyn. <laughs> and, uh, and he had this Brooklyn accent. He said, batting in the number three position. Number four, Duke Snyder, center field. Thank you. So, so uh, Ernie Harwell, who started in Brooklyn, yeah, told me a story that uh, they went to Tex Rickard before a game, and they said, Tex, uh, when a guy leaves the game, we're going to go to the clubhouse, get the information as to why he left the game, and give that to you, and you can make that announcement. It'll be like a, a public service for the fans, so they know why he left. So that day, the, the Dodgers had a guy named Dolph Camilli, a, a San Francisco guy. And he had the flu, and he was throwing up and whatnot, and he played an inning, and then they took him out. So they sent this message to Tex Rickard. Texas, ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. For Brooklyn, Dolph Camilli had to leave the game course he don't feel good <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> so and i told that story to Vinny, oh and and the best feeling in life was to get a huge laugh from vin scully yeah because you, you know it, it's trip. almost like where he's out of control and he's never out of control on the air right he's the consummate professional but to see him slap his thigh and <laughs> <laughs> yeah now, that's, that's the Vince Scully that I knew. <laughs> Not to ask, John, for your greatest hits all at one time, but can you tell us about Vince Scully in three languages? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I grew up a Giants fan here in, in the Bay Area, and the Giants played mostly day games in those days at Candlestick, the early 60s. Tuesdays and Fridays were the only days of the week that they would play a night game because it was too cold it was the only reason I could figure. Yeah. Now comes September, and they're in a pennant race with the Dodgers. 62 was a, one, of the, one of the great pennant races, and they finished tied, and they had the best-of-three playoff to determine the pennant winner. And so the Giants would play in the afternoon, and then I would tune in the Dodgers. They were on a very powerful station, KFI, 50,000-watt station. And at nighttime, it'd come, it would come in like a local station here. And I'd listen to Vinny do, do those games. And so I heard Vinny a lot as a kid. And I was a total Giants fan. I hated the Dodgers. I hated Maury Wills especially. And I thought, uh, 
and, and, and Russ Hodges and Lon Simmons had home run calls. Russ would say, uh, you know, tell it, bye-bye, baby, when the Giants hit a home run. And you get goosebumps if, as a Giants fan. And, you know, Lon would tell it, goodbye, and it goosebumps again. And I heard Vinny do a home run. He was like, oh, way back in, she's gone. You know, I remember thinking as a 10-year-old, oh, no wonder he's working on a jerkwater town like L.A. <laughs> if that's all he's got. I'll tell you one thing. He's never going to get out of that town. That <laughs> and that was the one thing I was right about as a 10-year-old. You know, all these years he was still there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 67 years. But when you used to have a lot of young guys. You'd get tapes from guys uh, hoping to get a shot in the big leagues. And f- for a long period of time, they all sounded like Vince Scully. Yeah. It's as if they all said, yeah. how do you do this thing? Well, he's the best, so I should just sound like Vince Scully. And and I thought, well, that's a great tribute to Vinny. And then, uh, so I would say, uh, then we went to Japan, and I had a chance at long last to hear the legendary voice of the Tokyo Giants, uh, Genshiro Asami, who was a real guy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and so I knew of the legend of Asami-san, but I'd never heard Asami-san. So I had a great sense of uh, anticipation. I turned on the, the TV to, at long last hear him, mm-hmm. and it put me off a little bit because he came on and he was doing Vinny. No way. Otashi wa karaku in the stadium ni orimas. Hajime mashde dozyorushku lo. I actually That's had a chance hilarious. to do that with Vinny one night on a, back in the, sometime in the 80s. He was still doing the game of the week on NBC. Yeah. And I was with the Orioles in Seattle. Ah, Seattle, you beautiful town. If you have a it chance is. to get up there, I'd go. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Spend as much time as you can up there. I'm playing it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the guy ultimately asked about the Vince Scully impression. Yeah. So Vinny's in a studio in New York. I'm in a studio in Seattle. And we're in this satellite hookup. So I do the Vince Scully in Japanese thing. And now Vinny, in New York, he starts speaking Japanese, which I thought, whoa, now that's cool. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, and I had another bit where he's down in, uh, I, I go to Venezuela and hear the Venezuelan broadcaster and, uh, uh, you know, Cal Ripken tiene 27 home runs in el año detrás. Ripken viene a bola, saca, foul. Dos y dos. El partido de baseball con Farmer Juan. <laughs> so, anyway, the, at the very end of the thing, the guy says, uh, well, Benny, uh, John does this little impression of you, and uh, how do you feel about that? And he says, uh, well, I can see that there's a fine line between having fun and making fun, but I take it as all being done in good fun. Although, I will say, I'm much happier being the imitatee rather than the imitator. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. So now I'm, feel I leave the studio and I'm walking downtown. I'm heading over to the Pike Street Market or whatever. And mm. I'm thinking to myself, having fun, making fun. <laughs> and uh, having an imitatee. And I'm thinking, wow. And this is 20 minutes after things over. I'm thinking, did he just cut me up into a thousand pieces? <laughs> <laughs> and you and never I'm do just it. now realizing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I wish we had a rain delay right now. Oh, if we had a rain delay, gosh. we, would, know, we have buddy. got about one minute to go, and I just have to ask you. I grew up outside of Chicago about two hours, and I listened to Harry Carey on the radio, and I fell in love with radio and baseball at about the same time. And I wasn't sure radio would still be here when I was old enough to do radio. 
Radio is surviving. Baseball and radio is surviving. What, what, why is that so special? I think baseball is, number one, best on radio. Mm-hmm. And it's a great sport for radio because although <laughs> these shifts now, these big overshifts are changing things a little bit, but when there's a guy hits a ground ball to first, the first baseman's at first. He didn't switch, you know, just as the ball was about to be pitched, like in the NBA or something. Uh, fly ball to right, the right field isn't right. Uh, and I think so it's, it's easy to follow on uh, radio. Hmm. Television, it's more passive. Ernie Harwell used to say, the game on television, that's the movie version. And the game on radio, that's the novel. Where the, the viewer on television is passive and just watches the game. On the radio, like reading the novel, they're an active participant with the broadcaster. They, they mm-hmm. take your descriptions and they translate them into images. And I think the, the, the reason that these guys right here are so good uh, and the good ones, they create those vivid pictures and they grab the listener and bring them into the ballpark. And, uh, and so now you create those images and, and you experience the game in a unique way because maybe you see their images from the second deck, first base side, where you usually sit when you go to the ballpark. So uh, rather than being just fed the pictures that they give you, and that's it. So uh, yeah. uh, I think it's a summertime game. People are out and about. Uh, maybe they're on vacation. And the radio goes with you. Wherever you go, the radio goes with you. So uh, baseball and the radio, a beautiful marriage. So Absolutely. Theater. theater in your mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As Lon Simmons, the great Giants broadcaster, Hall of Famer, uh, his daughter, whenever she'd come to a ball game, it, it, it was it's like a standing Lon Simmons household joke, I guess. And he'd see his daughter, says, uh, Robin, how you doing? And he says, uh, says uh, great. He says, did you enjoy the game? He says, yeah. And it was really, uh, I enjoyed it because it was like two games. There was the game I saw, and then there was the game you broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, John, thank you so much. Thank All right. you, John. All right. All the best. Great John Miller here. See you later.